okay. All right. Um, so, all right. So we are um, we are in a situation today, and I want to ask you if it if it um, bears anything um, in common with the story I told Madeline about Pooh. Have you ever been? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where things weren't pleasant, and you weren't sure when or even if you would get out of them? And before you answer, let me point out, you're all wearing masks. And some of you aren't even here. Some of you are online. So, so, um, obviously COVID is a situation where we are, we are in a place. We are, uh, very few of us, I think, would call it a pleasant situation. Um, and, um, uh, and yet we are, we are in a place where we, we see, well, maybe there's some easing. Maybe it's going to come to an end at some point, but we don't know exactly when things will be back to normal that we are in this situation, we're kind of stuck here, and we don't know when and how we will get out of it. I'm, I'm a late boomer. I'm somebody who, who is at the tail end of the, the baby boom. And so uh, as I grew up, I began learning about this place called Vietnam because the war was winding down and people were... were uh, um, back then, a hot take could last years. Now it's like three minutes, but... But, um, but today, I mean, but back in those days, people reflected at great length about Vietnam. And the lesson I took from that as I was coming of age was that some things are easier to get into than to get out of. Some things are kind of like Pooh's hole, where, or rabbit's hole, where you can, you can get in there easily enough, but getting out's the, the challenge. And so I would say, having, having grown up in that era, I would say that Vietnam would, would qualify. And if you're from a younger generation, then you might think about something like Iraq or Afghanistan or, of course, COVID. But this is not limited to the great affairs of the world. This is not something that only happens with nations. This is probably the, 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 the most common human question is, how did I get into this mess? And can I get out? This is, this is a very common human predicament. And it doesn't matter whether it's COVID or not. It doesn't matter if it's something small or something big. We find ourselves asking that question all the time. And maybe in, in your particular case, maybe what happened is that uh, COVID was a problem, but, but what it really did is it pushed something else into the foreground. Maybe, maybe you are one of the people with the comorbidities we've been hearing about for the last uh, year. And uh, what you kind of thought of as a minor irritation suddenly became a major problem, and you're wondering, what can I do to to help with that problem? Maybe it's a chronic condition, and maybe there's not much you can do, or maybe you need to be more careful or more rigorous about doing what you're supposed to do about it. Maybe it's a progressive illness, and it's just getting worse, and you're thinking, well, I really need to take care of that because COVID has shown what what will happen if I don't take care of these problems. So, So maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's that you've discovered that it's hard, um, to be a working parent when you're, you're not sure are the schools going to be closed next week. You know, right now they're, they're open, but you know, you never know. And maybe you've learned that lesson and you're kind of thinking, this has made, COVID has made my parenting that much harder. Or maybe you're thinking, COVID has made my finances that much more difficult because you realize that you were carrying too much debt for somebody whose job could could disappear. And so uh, you're thinking um, that I've got a problem and, you know, COVID exposed it. COVID pushed it to the foreground, but it's not really COVID that's my problem. 
And I know for some of us, uh, the problem is, isn't COVID, um, because what happened is something else pushed COVID. Not, it's not that COVID pushed something to the foreground, but something else pushed COVID to the background. That some circumstance in your life, uh, uh, came, came up and it made COVID retreat back into the noise. That I would put myself in that category. Uh, a year ago, I was thinking COVID was making my life difficult. That, that like pretty much every other pastor in the country, I was thinking they didn't train me for this in seminary. This, you know, we've never figured out how to do this stuff before. And so I think, you know, whatever, 300,000 other pastors were all whining about how hard we've got it. And that was really the way that I felt until my daughter died. And then, I realized that there are problems that, that dwarf COVID. And that is still a problem for me. It is something, um, I, I'm, I'm no longer debilitated by my grief, but it's something that, that I still have. And people who have grieved uh, have told me that I can expect to have it uh, for a long time, if not forever. It's something I'm still getting professional help with because I still need it. So, so maybe the situation you're in, you know, in my case, grief, in my case, also COVID, um, maybe for you, it's just COVID, you know, just COVID. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you've got one of those other problems that COVID uh, exacerbated and pushed to the foreground. Whatever situation you find yourself in, this is a common human predicament to find ourselves in a predicament, to find ourselves in a, in a, a, a snare, a trap, um, to find ourselves in, in, in rabbit's hole where we don't know how am I going to get out of this or, or can I get out of this? And if I can, when am I going to get out of it? And I know some of you right now are thinking, I'm so glad I got up this morning and came to church. I'm so glad I got up early and logged in so I could watch this happy message. And I will tell you, I will tell you, it is a happy message because I'm done complaining. Uh, because because the, the the lesson we've got today is a lesson of hope. It's a lesson that that teaches us hope. Um, because because when we're in a sticky situation, when we're in a tough situation, when we're in a snare, when we're in a trap, there is hope in God. So we are beginning a new conversation uh, that is from the the story of the Exodus. This is a a key. I would actually say it is the foundational event of the life of the people of God. Um, it is. It is where where uh, the story, uh, the hinge of history turns from individual patriarchs to the nation of Israel and God's inner, God's um, uh, relationship with the whole nation of Israel, the whole people of God. And so it is a it is a central story in um, in the Hebrew scriptures and of course, therefore, part of the Christian story as well. So, um, what is what is the story of the Exodus? Well, the word itself comes from uh, the the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. It was something about two centuries before the time of Christ. A group of translators uh, translated the Hebrew into Greek, and when they were looking at the word, uh, when they were looking at the the this this book in the Hebrew Bible, they were trying to figure what should we call it, and they used the Greek word for. The road out, the, the Greek word that literally translates the road out. And it still means that today. In fact, if you go to Athens, as I did a couple of years ago, you will see above doors, you will see a sign that says Exodus. 
that the little backwards three thing, that's the way they write their X's. But, but other than that, you can read it. It's the word Exodus, and it means literally the way out, the road out. And that's what the story of the Exodus is. It's the story of the road out of Egypt, the road out of slavery. So, um, we are going to, to skip over the first little bit. I told you that this, this, um, that, you know, we've got problems. They've got worse problems. Uh, they, they have, they, they have been enslaved and they have recently suffered a genocide. So I don't know what problems you're thinking about, but probably you'd rather have them than slavery and genocide. So, um, so that's the situation there. And we're going to skip over that part of the setup and we're going to go right to the end of chapter two where we read, um, this passage. It says, it says, a long time passed and the Egyptian king died. So, good news, right? Anything has to be better than this. If your situation is slavery and genocide, anything's got to be better, right? But it says the Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. No, there's a new boss, but things didn't get better. The Israelites are still groaning. They cried out, and their cry to be rescued rose, uh, to be rescued from the hard work rose up to God. So, cries Cries um, of, of pain, cries of misery, they rise up to God. But but what happens next? Well, we read, God heard their cry of grief. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked at the Israelites and God understood. There's something that the writer is doing here, and it, it, it rewards a careful reading. If I'm talking to you about somebody else, if I'm saying, you know, if if Caroline is doing this, and I say, Caroline went shopping, and first, what do I say? Do I say, Caroline went to the store? No, I say, she, right? It's natural when we're speaking to replace the name. After the first first couple of times, I will replace it with a pronoun or something like that. And the same is true in the original language of the, the scriptures, that it's very natural to say, you know, this person did this, right? I, I will name them to be sure we're clear on who it is, but then after that, I will say, I will say, they did this, you know, she did this, he did this. And the writer doesn't do that. So, so let me read it the way that, the way that it, it is, it is meant to be understood. So it says, their cry of grief rose up from the, rose up to God. And God heard their cry of grief. Maybe nobody else heard it, but God heard it. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe nobody else remembered, but God did. God looked at the Israelites. Maybe nobody else saw their situation, but God saw it. And God understood. Maybe nobody else understood, but God understood. And honestly, I could stop there, but we're going to try and get through the the bulk of the the book of Exodus. So I'm going to move on. Because, Because there's a scene change. We go, we go from this situation. God has seen the misery of his people who are in Egypt. And then we go to somebody who's not in Egypt. We go to somebody who's not miserable. We go to Moses. Now, if we went back and looked at the story of the genocide and the slavery, we'd have learned more about Moses. But Moses isn't, isn't here right now. Moses is far away. Moses has been gone for 40 years. Where is Moses? Well, I've got a map here with a picture of the Middle East. So this is the area of uh, where Africa uh, bumps into uh, Asia. And you can see there's a little triangular thing there, kind of 
uh, where that's it, right there. There. So there's a triangular thing pointing down, and that's the Sinai Peninsula, and we're going to get a close look of, uh, at it here. And uh, for those of you who follow the news, the Suez Canal has been in the news lately. It's the place where boats aren't supposed to get stuck, but sometimes they do, and then it makes the news for weeks. Um, and so the, the Suez Canal wasn't there back at the time of the Exodus, but that little green patch next to where the Suez Canal is, that is where scholars tell us the, the, the Israelites were prob, the, the Hebrew people were probably located. Scholars argue over everything, but that seems to be, uh, from what I've read, the, the scholarly consensus is that that's roughly the region of Egypt where the um, Israelites were located. So there in the Suez Canal, where is Moses? Moses is in Midian. So where is Midian? Midian is all the way across the, the Sinai Peninsula on the Arabian Peninsula. So he's, he's far off. But as the story begins, we read, Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. So we knew that, right? Forty years he's been doing that. But we read, he led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. Whereas Horeb, if you go back to the map, Horeb is kind of at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. And again, scholars argue over everything. But uh, but scholars tell us, uh, many scholars tell us that, that Horeb is another name for, this, for Mount Sinai. So it's uh, roughly there somewhere um, uh, with my map skills. It's roughly there at the kind of the bottom part of the Sinai Peninsula. So he's taken his flock some distance. I don't know how long Bedouins typically move there, how far a distance they go, but he's He's gone quite a distance, and he comes to the Lord's mountain called Horeb. And the Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flame, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, I'm here. And the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. And Moses isn't as curious as he was a moment ago. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. A bush is one thing. God is something else. So Moses has an encounter with God right there at the burning bush. And the Lord says, Something we already know, because we were, we were starting the story early. We started in chapter two. God says, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. And it's, it's worthwhile sometimes to compare different translations to see how the translators, uh, uh, get a particular phrase. So in our translation it says, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. In other translations it says, I have indeed seen my people. I have surely seen my people. Different translations try and get it, the underlying language, to say God is absolutely aware of what's going on. If you have any doubt at all, disabuse yourself of the notion that God is ignorant of what's going on in Egypt. He says, I have clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. But then God says something else. God doesn't leave it at that. We knew that back in chapter 2, but God says something else. God says, I've come down. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, 
and the Jebusites all live. And then he he wraps it up. He makes kind of a little sandwich, right? I've heard, I've come down, I'm going to rescue. And then he says, now the, cry, the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. So he's, he said, I've heard, I'm aware of the situation. That's kind of the top piece of bread. And then he says, he, he finishes it up by saying, I've, uh, the, the cries have reached me, I've seen how much the Egyptians have, have oppressed them. He, that's the bottom piece of bread. And in between, the, the meat of the sandwich, the peanut butter and jelly, the thing in the middle of the sandwich is, I am acting. What am I going to do? I've come down. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to lead them out of here to a good and broad land, a land of milk and honey, a land where the parasites and all those other ites, they all live. And then he says, so get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, we're going to stop there. If you come back next week, we'll see what Moses says in response to this invitation to be part of this great adventure that God has in store. But we can do that. We'll, 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 we'll get to Moses. But right now, we've already learned something that is vitally important, particularly who find themselves stuck. People who find themselves in a building like this wearing masks and wondering, how long is this going to go on? How long am I going to be stuck in the rabbit hole? There is a message of hope here, and it is that God hears the cries of his people. That God is a God who listens, who hears, who understands, who knows. And sometimes that's all you can do, right? The mayor has not phoned me and asked me for any advice on COVID. And neither did Dr. Fauci. You know, there's nothing I can do to change COVID policy. And honestly, I'm so ignorant, I would be petrified to offer my opinion on these issues. I don't know enough to to contribute to that conversation. I can only hope that the right people are part of those conversations and that over time we will emerge from this situation. All I can do in that area is to cry out to God and say, this has been a disaster in so many ways. It could be that there are worse disasters, that this is this is better than the alternative. I don't doubt that. But this has been terrible. And the sooner we emerge from it, the better. I can cry out for, for God's help. One of the things that's interesting about this story is that the Israelites have, have not really had much to do with God for 400 years. That, that they've been in Egypt and, um, the last time we've heard of God speaking to them was at the time of the patriarchs. So it's been 400 years. And my guess is that whatever knowledge they had about God was pretty much dim. It was pretty pretty incomplete and, and sketchy. It was something, well, you know, my grandfather used to tell a story about his grandfather. It was that kind of knowledge of God. And their theology was almost certainly wrong. It was almost certainly incomplete. But their cries still went up to God. That our theology doesn't have to be right. Our Our understanding of who God is and what his nature is doesn't have to be right for God to hear our cries. And so sometimes, particularly when there's nothing to do but cry out to God, do so. Because God hears. When nobody else hears, certainly God hears. 
But God does more than that. God acts. God comes down. In the Hebrew scriptures, he comes down to speak to Moses. We're going to see whether, what, you know, what comes of this coming down. But whether it works out or not, and I'm going to spoil it for some of you by telling you it does, that God actually does bring them out of Egypt. That's why the book got its name. So, so I hope I didn't, I hope I didn't ruin it for anybody, but, but, but he does, he does succeed at this. But we haven't got to that point, but already God has acted. God has come down. That, that God does not sit up on Olympus looking down on us and say, sucks to be you. That's not what God does. God comes down. In the Hebrew scriptures, he comes down to Moses to commission Moses to go back to Pharaoh. And he does so again and again throughout the Hebrew scriptures. We see God's continued involvement with his people. And in the New Testament, we see how God came down ultimately to be incarnate in Christ to live among us. God acts. God comes down. But more than that, God acts in a particular way. Jesus, in his very first sermon in the, the synagogue in Nazareth, said that I have... He, he, he was given the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he interpreted his ministry this way. He said, The Spirit of the Lord has is upon me. He has... Uh, he, He has called me to proclaim good news to the poor and to proclaim liberty to the captives. That it is the nature of God to act in a way that is liberating. So whatever the situation you're dealing with, whether it's, whether it's COVID, whether it's only COVID, only COVID, or whether it's something that COVID made worse, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a chronic condition, whether it's a relationship that's become toxic, whatever it is that COVID has made worse, whatever the situation, God is a liberating God. God frees his people. God comes down. God acts. But lastly, we've learned something else. We've learned the reason God came down. The reason God came down, if we look back at, back at, um, back at uh, verse 24, it says, God heard their cry of grief, and God felt sorry for them. No, that's not what it says. God heard their cry of grief, and he figured they'd suffered enough. No, that's not what it says either. It says, God heard their cry of grief, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God told the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would be their God, that God bound himself with a covenant. He said that I commit to be your God no matter what stupid things you do. And, you know, read the book. They they do pretty much all of them. God says, I will be your God. And sometimes that's why a covenant is helpful. This is why I encourage people to get married instead of living together. Because sometimes, as as those of you who've been married know, that it's not all roses, that it's not always Valentine's Day, that sometimes there's hard things. And it's worthwhile. It's a good idea to say up front, no, we're sticking with this. We are committed to be with one another, that that we are committed to be in a relationship with each other no matter what. That's a helpful thing in a marriage. And God says the same thing to his people. He says, I am your God. 
no matter what crazy things you get up to, I am still your God. God rescued them, not because they needed it, not because they, you know, you go to the hospital and they've got the little happy faces that turn into like, you know, screaming faces and, and you tell them, well, I'm, I'm a number four today. And they say, well, okay, then no medication for you or, or whatever it is, right? You know, you're not, you're not suffering enough. You know, when you, when it hits number six, then we can, you know, right? God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, sorry, you're still a smiley face. You know, God doesn't say, you have reached the magic threshold where I will act. God says, it's not based on how much you're suffering. It's not based on whether I simply pity you. It's based on the fact that I have promised, I have made a commitment, I will be your God. I will be in relationship with you. Now I'm going to spoil a little bit of the book by saying it would be a good thing if Israel had remembered as well as God did, that they were in a covenant relationship with God. If they had said, the only way we're getting out of this mess, we're slaves, right? We cannot get out of this mess on our own. The only way we're going to get out is if God helps us. And we have reason to believe God will because of the covenant. And if they had said, and as part of that covenant, we agree to do what he says. If he says, go left, we'll go left. If he says, go right, we'll go right. Because he understands what he's doing and we really don't have anything to contribute here. If they had remembered that, the story would have gone a lot better for them. And frankly, it's a message that we can all remember. That that if we are in a covenant relationship with God, then we can look to God for guidance, knowing he will not steer us wrong. And we may not understand what he's doing, may not understand why he's doing it. We may not understand why he's doing it now. We may not understand why he's telling us today. Telling us today. But if we remember we're in a covenant relationship, things will go better for us. Before we know how this story turns out, we already know something that is crucial. When we find ourselves in a sticky place, when we find ourselves stuck in rabbit's hole, we can say to ourselves, you know what? I know three things. I know that God hears. God sees my situation. God listens to my cries. God hears. And I know that God acts. That it is God's nature to be a liberator. That God will not overlook the suffering of his people. And I know that God is committed to this relationship. God will go on being God no matter how clumsily or inexpertly I follow him, no matter how bad my theology is, God has committed to be my God and I will commit myself to be His pers- a, a member of his people, his child. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion and uh, for those of you who are online, I, I would encourage you to, to get started uh, preparing your elements now, whatever you need to do. But shortly before he was arrested, Jesus said that he was establishing a new covenant, that the old covenant was fulfilled in him. And he was establishing a new covenant. And it is that new covenant we remember at this table. We remember that we have a relationship with the one who hears, and who acts. And that relationship is the one that we can count on when we're in a sticky place. Scripture tells us that they will come from east and west and north and south and sit together at table in the kingdom of God. This is the table of God. And 
it is wherever you may be worshiping with us today, it is the table of the Lord. And he invites those who trust him to meet him here. So I invite you to prepare your hearts for the gift that you will receive from the table of the Lord.